Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. When he was an infant, he suffered from spider mites of Jesus because his mother couldn't pronounce spinal meningitis. This caused mental challenges. This resulted in his lifelong illiteracy. At 13, he began selling his body on the streets as a drag prostitute. When he was arrested, he took a dump in the back of the police car, leading the cops to give him the name Dirt Woman. Since then, he's run for mayor, gotten kicked out of the inauguration of America's first black governor, Douglas Wilder. He posed for his pinup calendar, weighing 350 pounds. He offered crabs, he offered crabs from his crotch for a gawar, G-W-A-R video, and hosted the annual Hamagans, a fundraiser that provided hams for the hamless. And that is the story behind Donnie Corker, and that is the story also behind the documentary film called Spider Mites of Jesus, the Dirt Woman Documentary. And we're joined today by the director of that film, and that would be Jerry Williams. Jerry Williams, welcome to Film School Radio. Mike, great to talk to you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you so much for being here. I am going to surmise from uh, having seen the film, but also just from uh, the subject of the film, that you're very familiar with the town of Richmond, Virginia. Oh, yeah. I actually was born and raised in Florida, came to Richmond in 1967, summer of love. I was a young hippie to what was then the Richmond Professional Institute and is now Virginia Commonwealth University. I majored in theater and got a job when I got out doing video, and I've been living in Richmond ever since, making producing videos. When was the first time that you laid eyes on Donnie Corker? I, well, it was the 70s, so I don't remember much, but I do remember wandering through the campus one time and seeing this young man, I guess he's roughly my age, so he was probably in his late teens, maybe, and he had on a, he was a little, he's a big guy, had on a wig, a very cheap woman's wig, and was just prisoned through the campus. He might have had a little young boy with him, like a 12 or 13 year old boy, just as kind of his, I don't know, accompaniment, and he would just be terrorizing people. Oh, honey, you cute. Oh, I like you. And he would just walk through the campus literally terrorizing people. And I remember being terrorized (laughs) as a young closeted (laughs) freshman. Um, And then I didn't see him for a while regularly. And then in the 70s, the disco period came around. My friend Ray Bentley, who was a big promoter and opened a couple of discos in town, and is in the documentary telling some wonderful Dirt Woman stories, he started to to have Donnie there all the time. He would be at the door. He would mud wrestle. He would perform. And at that time, I was also on the CBS affiliate reviewing movies in theater on TV. So Donnie, Donnie Corker, Dirt Woman, knew me from that. So we we became more friends during that. And then every year I would call him on his birthday at least. And we just stayed in touch through all the years. Yeah. You've kind of described his personality <laughs> Not, not necessarily as a terrorist, but what, how was Donnie Corker as a person when you, when some of the sort of the character of Dirt Woman would uh, would subside? How, how was he as a person? Well, it, it's interesting because a number of people, because obviously in Richmond he was quite an icon. He was known pretty much all over the place too. I mean, uh, there's a story as you saw in the documentary where somebody in Japan. Somebody said they're from Richmond, and the guy goes, Dirt Woman! <laughs> but um, he was pretty well-known, and some people hated him. He was terrifying if you 
if you let him be. I mean, he was a big guy, and he was very outspoken, and he was mentally challenged, so he was not afraid of saying what he felt. So that was a little intimidating to some people, especially if you were in the closet or if you were just a little bit afraid. And uh, but, but invariably, once somebody took the time to chat with him and get to know him a little bit, he was a sweetheart. You know, he, he ultimately, as you saw in the documentary, he saved two people's lives. He gave money away that he won at bingo. So outside of all the outrageous things he did, and there were lots of those, he was a sweet and wonderful person underneath it. And I, and I, and I was charged with that from the very beginning. Is, you know, from friends of mine, I have one friend who has a brother who is mentally challenged, and she said, you know, I want you to address that issue that people picked on him. You know, they called him retarded, and they took advantage of him. And how did he feel about that? How was he about his own brand? And so I addressed that issue because I thought it was very important for people to understand that, hey, he wasn't just a class clown or the city clown or the village idiot. He was, you know, he did have a heart, and he was a sweet person. Yeah, and I think what comes across in the film is uh, for all of the theatrics, all the histrionics at times, uh, he was a vulnerable person, and he was a survivor. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, he did. You know, he was, as it's, again, as it says in there, uh, he was on the media. He was he was not afraid to go on TV in the 70s and early 80s when a lot of people were still in the closet. He wasn't always politically correct. He might say faggot on the radio or on TV, which, of course, we would prefer not them to use that word, but he was out there. He was willing to make that, you know, to make that statement. So I think that was one of the reasons that he he was well-known. And when he died, he was on the front page of the Richmond newspaper and all top of the fold front page. And also there was an NPR story that was done on it. So he kind of gained some notoriety through all these years of all of his outrageousness. Well, having spent time with him uh, out on the street, has he, he had a place to stay or did he, he, it sounds like he may have had a place to stay some stay sometimes. As far, and as, sometimes as, far as I know, he was never homeless. Okay. Uh, he op- usually lived with his family. The last few years of his life, he definitely was living with his family. Once he became bedridden, he lived with uh, a sister and a brother and some other people right. who took care of him. But he had an apartment for a little while. As you saw in the doc, there was one point where he actually had his own phone number. In the phone book, in the Richmond phone book, it said, Dirt Woman. <laughs> and uh, so he did have an apartment for a little while, but he, when he was younger and, and was making money on the streets, doing whatever, um, he had enough money to get places, but he yeah. often lived with other people or lived with his family, yeah. too. What was a typical day like for him? I don't know if you spent a, sort of a sun sun up to sunrise time. Oh, God, with no. Uh, <laughs> no, we did. There was a period. We Actually, this thing started in 1999. I was sitting at lunch with a, a Dave Park, who's a local videographer in Richmond, and uh, somehow Dirt Woman came up. I don't know if he was walking by or somebody mentioned him. We said, we should do a documentary. So we got together with Liz Throckmorton, this local producer, and we put together this big party, which you see some of in the documentary, mm-hmm. 50th anniversary or 50th birthday party. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed some people, and we had bands playing in drag queens, and you know, it was a big thing. And then Liz, spent, Liz and Dave spent a couple of days with him. They went to watch him buy makeup and try on wigs and dresses and things. So they had some of that Cine Verite stuff, and that was kind of fun. And so they got to spend that day. And everywhere he goes, he's, you know, he's, he's never met a person he's not a friend to. He'll talk to anybody. He's unabashed about who he is. Um, and so he's, you know, he's kind of an entertaining person to walk around with. Mm-hmm. So we did that. They did that. And then we all got busy making a living for 15 years. And I didn't see him. I'd see him occasionally around. You know, he was always around on his motor, his little scoot around, his hover around, scooting around town or selling flowers down the streets. And then in 2017, he got, he had congestive heart failure. And there was a local reporter. He used to be at the TV station. Then he went on to the radio. I mean, started in the newspaper, then went to the TV station. 
And he, I was kind of his go-to queer. Anytime he needed a soundbite on a gay subject, he would call me up. And he called me up and says, Donnie's got heart failure. Let me interview you. I was on the show, and I thought, you know, I'm coasting into retirement. I've got more time on my hands. Why don't I start this documentary back up? So that's how it got going, and I think I got way off of your question. No, but, no, that's uh, it. No, I was just curious about sort of his daily life. He did, in fact, sell him himself. He sold his body, if you when will. He was younger. Yeah, he was younger. on the street. Yeah, in drag, and, and uh, then he later sold, sold. For many years, he was known because he sold flowers on a very popular street down in the near the campus, actually, of VCU. And he would sell flowers. And then he there was a restaurant, a very popular, wonderful Italian restaurant called Mama Zoo. And he would sit out front and he would peel garlic. For that restaurant too so he he you know he managed to, to stay active and to make his own money uh especially you know even after he got off the street yeah he did um what was the reaction i'm sure it evolved over time but the reaction of the people in richmond to him it seemed like he had a good relationship with law enforcement a, maybe an up and down relationship but he seemed to have uh, a good re- relationship with law enforcement because he was a good citizen as well, right? Well, he was a good citizen, but he also had his, his uh, ear to the ground, or nose to the ground, his nose to the grindstone. Anyway, he <laughs> he was on the scene. He was on the street scene a lot. So he did know, and as you saw in the documentary, cops sometimes knew they could go to him and ask him, hey, what have you heard about something going on on XYZ or whatever? And he would often know just because he was uh, involved in the street scene. Uh, but some people always hated him. They just thought he was, you know, he was tacky and tasteless and they didn't really ever take get a chance to know him and then people embraced him and obviously as you saw by the time he died when we showed the movie in richmond at the richmond international film festival the mayor declared it dirt woman week (laughs) and wrote a wonderful piece about diversity and inclusion and how all kinds of people should be respected and i think that kind of brought it back around of course our world has changed a lot since the 70s and 80s yeah uh but i think the city big you know learned to embrace his uniqueness he was a good-hearted soul, and we see some of his family in the film, and it's uh, it's not, you know, it's not a stretch to say he came from a family uh, that was financially. Uh, they were rednecks. They, they were, were poor white they, rednecks, white trash. I mean, put it out there. That's what they were. Even if it's not politically correct, they would say that. <laughs> uh, they would be the first to say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they would fit right at home in the John Waters movie. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so we see again. I mean, the 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 beauty of the documentary. By the way, the documentary is Spider Mites of Jesus, the Dirt Woman documentary, and you can find out more about it by going to dirtwomandoc.com, dirtwomandoc.com, and that'll help it's you. Doc is in documentary, obviously. In, in doc, exactly. And uh, so you see his life, you see his family, you see. Uh, him in unguarded moments. You see him going through the final stages of his life, uh, and you get this very—you get to know him. And yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I interviewed seventy people, so I got a lot of different angles of his life there. That's right. There are a lot. You're right. A lot of people were were seemed to be happy to participate in the making of Spider Mites of Jesus, the Dirt Woman documentary. Yes, 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 yes. So, uh, what's been the reaction? You, 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 you know, you, the mayor declared uh, Dirt Woman Week. Uh, wh- what was the reaction when people found out that he was dying, or 
as he was beginning to well when he died what what sort of a well like i said it was on the front page of his paper and of course social media blew up like crazy uh there are several facebook pages i have a dirt woman doc facebook page there's the loving fans of dirt woman there's dirt woman peaks so you know all the social media blew up it was all over all the 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 newspapers and all the print media and tv stations covered it so that was quite a thing and um so needless to say when we finally did have the premiere in richmond in april of this last year, we had a packed house. It was a one night only because it was the film festival, and we had a packed house. And the audience, of course, was insane. And that's one thing I always tell people because you, you talked about the reaction to the movie. It's very entertaining. There's a lot of funny stuff, yeah. and it's okay to laugh. Um, yeah. And at first, people seem like, well, you know, this guy's mentally challenged, and he's a little weird. And is this? And then after a while, you realize, oh yeah, this is funny. It's okay to laugh. But uh, no, I've shown it in Florida, San Francisco, Palm Springs coming up very shortly, Charlottesville, going to Atlanta. And uh, the reaction has been the people have seen it. They really embraced it. They really enjoyed it. I had one woman in San Francisco said it really captured a time and place for her in Richmond and in the era when Donnie was around. So it's been, it's been very positive. It's, it's a kind of a hard sell because the title's weird, and it sounds like he's just, you know, this guy's so weird. I don't know if I want to do this. But I would say anybody who has kind of a John Waters sensibility would – embrace it let's talk a little bit about yourself now you not only are you a filmmaker but you also are a film reviewer tell us a little bit about your yourself jerry right, Williams. right. well and it's funny because I, this is my first documentary i make my living doing commercial industrial videos for you know for corporate clients and government clients you know long-form training videos marketing videos that kind of thing and then I have reviewed, like I mentioned earlier, I reviewed 14 years on the CBS affiliate. Then I started this website, tvjerry.com, which was known as Tales from the Grips. And I started reviewing. Somebody said, well, you should review movies again. So I started reviewing on that in 1998, and I've just been doing those ever since. Uh, they're always very short. I think it was from my TV background. Keep them under two minutes. So they're, they're pretty concise reviews. I'd never really wanted to make a feature. People said, haven't you ever wanted to make your own movie? I'm like, no, not really. And this just kind of fell in my lap. I'm as I say, I'm 69. It's the perfect age to be promoting Dirt Woman. And I just kind of created this thing just happened over two years. And I've been spending this year out going to festivals and sharing it with people. Uh, but I still review movies. Obviously, I didn't review my own, but I've been getting some great reviews. Film Threat gave it 8 out of 10. Nice. And uh, it's always interesting being on the other side of that. You know, I've reviewed so many movies and, of course, a lot of local theater. So I get a more guttural reaction from the local people but to be on the other side where suddenly i'm getting reviews of my movie and okay can i suck it up you know take the criticism and i'm fine with it but it has been interesting to be on that reverse angle there now as a first-time documentary filmmaker i know that these can be daunting uh enterprises and uh not the least of which is raising the money that you need to make this uh, a film like this um what was that like for you? What was your? Do you have a big budget or well, how that go? I did. My whole budget was under four thousand dollars, which wow. kind of blows people's minds. Yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier I had this website called Tales from the Grips, which was news of Richmond's production community, and it was the go-to site for almost twenty years of anything in town. Somebody wins an award, somebody bought a new camera, somebody's casting something, whatever. It was just all this news, and so I made a lot of friends through those years. I also got a lot of people jobs because I would put job postings up. So I started calling in favors. Uh, just about everybody that shot for me had worked with me on projects. I'd paid them as DPs in the past. So I would say, give me a day, and then I would book the day. And so I did a lot of that. The audio mix, the graphics, the, 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 the 
those wonderful illustrations that you saw that are tar on enamel mm-hmm. that are throughout the documentary. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, Matt Lively, who's a local artist, and we go to a lot of movies, and I was bemoaning the fact that I had no B-roll or no video to cover this one story. And he said, well, I'll draw something. And then that just kind of evolved into him doing a dozen of those, which he gave them to me in layers, so they're slightly animated. And those are very popular. And that's the way everything happened. Just my friends who I'd worked with or who I knew just said, oh, well, and they all wanted to be involved because it was Dirt Womb. So I paid a few, you know, I paid crew lunches and a couple of people out of town I had to pay somebody to shoot the interview. But mostly it was just done out of love. That's what that is when you build a community like that and it it comes back. And that's great. That's a great story. Jerry Williams, uh, uh, congratulations on Spider Mites of Jesus, the Dirt Woman documentary. And you can go to Dirt Woman Doc, D-O-C, DirtWomanDoc.com, and you can find out all about it. And um, my congratulations again for the film uh, and uh, for introducing me to Dirt Woman. And uh, thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Enjoyed it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.